Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome to Cradio yet again. This is Sister Bernadette Pike speaking and we're going through a series of talks on Blessed John Paul II's charism, on his way of being in the world, way of relating to God, to other people and to himself. This is the seventh talk in a series and we have... We're, at the moment, we're focusing on the, our late Holy Father's ability to attend to the other and what that actually looks like in practice. We turn now to reflect upon the extent to which we can actually see the other person and not just the problems that might confront us. One of the reasons Blessed John Paul II could love his enemies was that he learned to, to look past the person's appearance and behavior to see the human being before him, the crown of God's creation, the dwelling place of God in all their dignity. So even if God's image is disguised or disfigured by their way of acting, their particular ideology, their appearance, we owe them our respect and love and they need this. And John Paul II recognized this and lived this out in his life. So one of, the, one of the ways that can help us to do this is even simple things like repeating the person's name in your mind when you meet someone. This doesn't just help you remember their name, but also can call to mind that you stand before a unique and unrepeatable person who is a mystery and has a depth that we can't even begin to comprehend. If we greet someone with joy and love because of who they are, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily endorsing what they choose to do. It means that we're looking beyond this and in doing so, we're affirming them for being a person. And this is, this is a really crucial point. When we attend to the other, when we welcome the person with our heart and body, we're affirming their very personhood first. Um, we can see that this is, this is not always been done in the church. And I want to use the example of the pro-life movement in various parts of the world that's been notorious for missing the person in the past. When there's an overemphasis on the problem and on its solutions, then there can be a neglect of the person that's actually involved. So we become problem-focused rather than people-focused, person-focused. We can see that we, we were so focused on the impact that abortion was having on the unborn child, we neglected the impact it was having on the woman as well. So now we can see, especially in the American church, and it's in so many other countries as well too, 
it's a new new wave, if you like, through the, throughout the pro-life movement that doesn't neglect the fact that, yes, one of the greatest atrocities of our time is that we are losing millions of unborn babies. It doesn't neglect that. But what it's saying is, let us also not neglect the impact this is having on women and on fathers and on other people as well too. Behind this problem is a person and what's that person going through? What led them to make those decisions in the first place? Behind the abortionist, what's going on within that person's life that would lead them to get to that point where they would be working in that industry? So we can see in various ministries in the church, this attention to the person and to the interior life of the person is becoming more and more prominent, which is helping the church in her mission to be more effective. Another example of focusing on the person and not just the problem could be the way we relate to people that knock on our door, whether they're from another religion or they're trying to sell us something. Do we see, do we quickly identify where they might be coming from? Or this, this could also apply to someone who's asking for some money on the street from us as well too. Do we quickly identify, okay, they are from another religion. They are going to ask me for some money. Or do we see the person and think, wow, it's actually really hot out there. That person might need a glass of water or this person who's asking for money has got to the stage where they're, they're actually begging on the street. So what else could be going on within that person's life? Do they need prayers? Can I offer to pray with them? Can I just let them know that someone is seeing them as a person and not just shrugging them off? So it's good for us to think about that whenever we're, when we're confronted with someone to, well, how am I actually responding to that person? What am I actually identifying first? An example of this um, recently that happened for me, there were some young men out on the street around the, one of the metro train stations over here as I was coming to school. And they were actually, they were young men. They would have been in their late teens, early 20s. And they were working for Planned Parenthood and canvassing the crowd basically what happened first is I came out of the train station. The first one looked at me and then looked away. And of course, I'm always in my full habit. And then the second one looked at me and then looked away. And the third one was a bit more brave. He said, excuse me, ma'am, can I have a moment of your time? I said, sure, sure. And he proceeded to explain to me that there's a problem because the cause of Planned Parenthood was losing momentum and, and that they were out on the streets to help people to get involved to be a voice for this cause again. And I was really amazed, really, that he was brave enough to speak to me because it's unless he didn't know what a Catholic sister was. But I said to him, oh, do you actually believe everything that Planned Parenthood says? And he said, well, you know, I said, like, do you believe that abortion is OK? And he turned to me and he said, well, obviously, we're on different pages. Thank you for your time. Goodbye. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just I'm inquiring about, you know, I just think it's amazing you're on this kind of work and that you're brave enough to approach me and this is really difficult for you. And he was like, yes. <laughs> so it really wasn't the kind of conversation he was expecting to have and we were able to talk about what that's like for him to work in that job. And obviously I didn't sign up that day, but what I did sign up to was entering into a relationship with this young man at some level at that point to allow Christ to, or to ask Christ to try and work through me. So my attempts to live that aren't always, you know, so successful. But the the point is the striving is the trying to to really recognise the person and the needs of the person before us. Okay, so 
This idea of seeing the person, not just the problem, is part of having an integral vision of who man is um, and being attentive to all that they are and not reducing them, like we were saying a lot of the modern philosophies do do. Another point we want to cover as part of the attention to the other is the need to make time. So am I actually available to people? Do I send them the message that I want to spend time with you, that you're important enough for me to put everything else aside and just to simply be with you? During his pastoral visitations, John Paul II followed a personal pattern which included separate meetings with the clergy. He said, I wanted to give an opportunity to each of them to confide in me, to share the joys and concerns of their particular ministry. This is from his book, Rise, Let Us Be On Our Way. He also says in this same book, My opportunities to meet the people came not only during pastoral visitations and other public events. The door of my residence at three Franciscanska, I should have practiced that one beforehand, street, was always open to everyone. A bishop is a shepherd, so he should be with the people, for the people, and at the service of the people. Everyone had direct access to me at all times. All were welcome to my home. You might say that the residence was throbbing with life. This is on page 131 on Rise, Let Us Be On Our Way. So you can see he made a conscious effort to make sure he was available for people. When I was studying at, at Kuala in Lublin, I was told too that, that our Holy Father was often late for lectures because he would talk to people in the hallways. He, he didn't say no to people. He saw every person that approached him. Okay, this person's entrusted to me. I, I need to. Of course, we need to eventually draw boundaries. But there was this perpetual openness to the person. So we want to be able to examine our own lives. Am I always busy and always on the go? Whilst it is the person's responsibility to ask us for help if they need it, it is hard for them to be able to do that with a busy person who doesn't set aside time for this sort of thing. So we might say, for example, my family, well, I provide the money, I provide the food. If they need me, they can just ask me. The point is, if I'm very, very busy and I'm not really making the time, I might be, as we're saying with the not all there syndrome, I might be sending the message that I'm, I don't actually have time for you. So that we also, it's also good for us to ask us, how good are we at actually being present with someone when the time is made and we do have that time available? How good are we at actually being present? The Holy Spirit teaches us to be present with people that we find difficult. Speaking to the youth, he said, If I had not already learned to be with you, something so beautiful and difficult that I learned a long, long time ago, most probably I would not have been able to do this, and you would not reach out to grasp my robes as you do, as you say, Come, stay with us. It's a very interesting quote of the Holy Fathers because it highlights that he wasn't always comfortable with being present with people. It was something that he had to learn. He was often criticised for the amount of travel that he did, but he was constantly defending this practice of his by explaining that we have to be physically present with someone in order to really get to know them. And he did this as the way of not just getting to know the organisations, and but also to understand the expectations, the problems as they occurred in practice wherever it was that he visited. In one quote he says, 
Some in Europe feel that the Pope does not need to travel, that he should stay in Rome as Popes always had done. I read this in the newspaper and I received counsel along these lines. Instead, I say that it is a grace of God to have come, because by coming I can get to know you. How can I know who you are, how you live, and your history otherwise? In one particular story that I heard, the Pope was in his Pope mobile and he'd been standing up for a long time as the car was going through the crowds visiting people and he was waving to people. And someone with him, one of the aides with him, insisted that he sit down. Holy Father, really, you've been standing up for a long time. Please sit down and rest. Please sit down and rest. And he, I think too from memory, he probably just, I think he just had an operation or anyway, he resisted and resisted. Eventually he did sit down and a little boy ran past the Pope Mobile and couldn't see the Holy Father. He was too small and he couldn't see the Holy Father. So the Holy Father, once he realized this, stood up and apparently never sat down again after that or, or, or didn't, not in his own free will. If he could stand, he stood because he wanted to make sure he never missed out on those um, personal encounters of being able to be present with people. His interaction with others was so personal and sensitive to the background and needs of the person he was with. Before meeting with people, he would try to learn some of their languages. He spoke several languages fluently. He would try and learn about their culture, their struggles, their joys, their history. He says in a, a quote in his book, Rise, Let Us Be On The Way, so it's a book written for bishops. I know my sheep, he quotes from the scriptures from John ten fourteen. A bishop should try to ensure that as many as possible of those who together with him make up the local church can come to know him personally. He, for his part, will seek to be close to them, to know about their lives, what gives joy to their hearts and what saddens them. Such mutual acquaintance cannot be built through occasional meetings. It comes from a genuine interest in what is happening in their lives, regardless of age, social status or nationality, whether they are close at hand or far away. It's difficult, he said, to formulate a systematic theory on how to relate to people, which sidebar is what we're actually talking about now, reflecting on his way of doing it. But he says, Yet I was greatly helped in this by the study of personalism during the years I devoted to philosophy. Every human being is an individual person, and therefore I cannot program a priori a certain type of relationship that could be applied to everyone, but I must so discern it anew in every case. Jerzy Libiet's poetry expresses this effectively, he said. I study you, my friend. Slowly I study you. Slowly. This difficult task, its gain, brings joy to my heart and pain. Finished quote. John Paul II said, I never felt that I was meeting an excessive number of people. Nonetheless, I was always concerned to safeguard the personal quality of each relationship. Every person is a chapter to himself. And it wasn't even just being physically present with them that was important for the Holy Father. He was constantly reading newspapers, following the news, trying to understand the condition of man so that he could really learn to be close to them. And he knew that it was important to create opportunities to get to know people. So we turn now to the importance of the contemplative dimension of this way of being. We've mentioned this already briefly in other talks, so we won't go into too much detail here. But it is very important to 
acknowledge that in our attention to the other, it, it must begin with attention to the other with a capital O, attention to Christ. John Paul II says that interest in others begins with the bishop's prayer life. At this point, he's speaking to bishops, obviously. His conversations with Christ, who entrusts his own to him. Prayer prepares him for encounter with others. In such meetings, if we are truly open, we can come to know and understand one another, even when there is little time. This is on page 66 of Rise, Let Us Be On Our Way. The Holy Father teaches us a certain way of living this contemplative dimension. How do we learn to become more present to Christ in the everyday? So he tells us that we need to go to God first. Cardinal Jivish said of John Paul II, when he had to meet with someone, make an important decision, write a document or go on a journey, he always turned to God first. The first thing he would do is pray. Now, this can be really hard to get into the practice of doing, especially if we're used to sharing things as soon as they happen, whether they're exciting or they're sad. So an example of that might be someone on Facebook, for example, who as soon as anything exciting happens, in fact, even as the exciting thing happens, they're thinking, okay, I can post this onto Facebook or I, I must confess I was guilty of this when we, when Washington DC experienced the earthquake a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, as soon as the earthquake was finished, it wasn't during the earthquake, but it was after the earthquake. I was thinking, oh, I can put this on Facebook. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. That I mean, I had fortunately on this particular occasion, I had prayed beforehand, so I had gone to God first. But it's so easy for us to get into the habit of sharing our joys and our sorrows first with the world, then with God. So it, it's a practice that we have to get into, that we turn first with all these things that happen within us to our Lord who's, who's there waiting for us to speak to him. Now, if we find that we constantly are taking something to God and it feels like he's silent and that it, the problem continues to be a problem, we can't work through it, the next step then is to, as tempting as it is then to post it on Facebook because we're feeling frustrated, the the next thing to do is to approach a wise person, not just someone that we know is going to give us sympathy or do something that we want that will make us feel better, that might give us some chocolate or something that's going to give some kind of temporary, illusory relief, really. It feels real at the time, I guess, but it is temporary. But to really, to turn to a, don't let the experience stop there. Find a wise person and ask them to help you to see God's handwriting in whatever it is that's going on. So if you have someone that is very, very trying and difficult for you, ask someone to help you to understand what is it about you, not about the other person. The attention goes on to you. What is it about you that's, that is preventing you from loving that person? Is it a past experience? Is it some kind of fear? What, what is it that's going on? And that person can try and help you to become aware of all that's happening within you. And the Holy Father acknowledged the importance of being able to do this. So Christ is the supreme teacher of the spiritual life, together with all those who have been formed in this school, he says. So we're all called to be contemplatives in action, to be praying constantly, as St. Paul says in the first letter to the Thessalonians 5.17, to pray constantly. Now this is not just the nuns and the priests, all of us, no matter what our state of life, to be conscious of the presence of God in each moment and to be responding to him. 
and man achieves, John Paul II said, in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, man achieves this fullness of prayer, not when he expresses himself, but when he lets God be fully present in prayer. So it's not just a matter of me constantly turning to God every five seconds. It's about really inviting him into my life as often as I can and asking him to completely take over. Responding to a question about how the Pope prays, he said, the most important thing is precisely what he hears. And it is also, and he also tries to unite prayer with his obligations, his activities, his works, and to unite his work with prayer. So developing a profound communion of mind, the Holy Father says. The Holy Father even arranged for a desk to be set up in his chapel so that he could do his work before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. He wrote prayers at the top of his manuscripts, his pages, constantly introducing prayer, calling upon the Lord to be present in whatever it was that he was doing, to take over and to do whatever needs to be done. So it's this idea of um, being mindful of the presence, calling the presence of God into that moment, asking him to come and to be present and to hearing him, to being attentive to what's going on. This is very much something that's happening in the moment. So many of our prayers normally are about what's happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future. We, we think, okay, here's my five-minute prayer before I go to bed. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for what you did. Please bless this person that came, this person that came. And tomorrow I've got a really bad assignment that I need to get done. If you could just help me with that. At some point, we need to stop and just be present. To be silent and to be conscious even of how, how do I feel at this very moment? What's going on with me even right now? Lord, what are you saying to me even now? Is there something new that you want to say to me, speak to me, that's apart from all my experiences? There needs to be that attentiveness in the very present moment. So I mentioned the, um, the need to be silent. John Paul II said that a necessary training in prayer in a context of noise and agitation like that of our society is an education in the deep human meaning and religious value of silence as the spiritual atmosphere vital for perceiving God's presence and for allowing oneself to be won over by it. And he says in, an, in Vita Consecrata, we need to learn a silence that allows the other to speak, that allows God to speak, but even allows the other person that I'm with to be able to speak as well. And in this, if, especially at the times we have uncomfortable feelings, if we can learn a silence, if we can learn to sit with our pain, to sit with Christ in that moment, we begin to see what he's, what, what he's saying to us and where he's leading us. And, and when we're able to do this, when we do this on a regular basis and get into the practice of this, we find that what we're trying to live is actually being integrated. The, the gospel is being integrated into our daily life. So I learn, okay... I wasn't very patient in that particular situation. Lord, help me to be more patient. It's in our concrete daily activities. This is what leads to authenticity. This is one of the key features of John Paul II and his authenticity that drew people to him. He didn't just preach things. He lived whatever he was, or he tried to live at least, whatever it was that he was talking about. It's important to be present with people, he says. He initially struggled to be with young people, to be with sick people. So he learned to be present with people. That authenticity requires that whatever it is that we believe, that we put that into practice. So it's not enough just to follow norms of the faith or particular devotions or practices. We, we have, it has to be a practical living faith that's alive. 
So we're, we're finishing this section on the attentiveness to the person and next time we're moving into the learning to listen to someone. So we just finish with prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give you thanks, Holy Spirit, you who are present at every single moment of our lives. Incline the ear of our hearts to hear you, to see you, to respond to you, to love you. Take over, Lord. Possess us completely. Do with us as you will. Help us to be attentive to the other person as well as to you and to learn to be a gift of self. Blessed John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.